0: Started. Good to see everybody tonight. Welcome to Bible study. We're going to open our time in prayer. Father, thanks for uh, your love for us tonight. I thank you that you're a God who loves us, who cares for us, and who is always looking out for us. I pray that you would lead and guide our time tonight. I ask that we would be responsive to your Holy Spirit. I pray your anointing. I pray God you would take your word and apply it to our hearts apply it to our lives i pray for change that god would respond to you I give you thanks I ask these things in jesus name amen amen if you have your bibles uh, we're going to open up to genesis chapter 50 if you need a bible just grab one off the table they are available for use genesis chapter 50 Now, we did have a couple of SpeakPipe contacts this week and exciting news. And so uh, Gilbert did send us a, a SpeakPipe contact. Gilbert uh, Jada is a, a person that lives with uh, Lori in Senegal. Uh, he stays at their house, uh, Lori and Sarah and Tim. And uh, so uh, he has sent us a message. So I'll play that now. Okay, Bonjour, Bonjour. Is E C F? Zouzali so, tous, zouzali so, tout le monde. Andy, Marta, Peter, zouzali so, tout le monde, tout le monde. Regardez sur tout Monsieur, Monsieur Tom, spaghetti, Monsieur Spaghetti, Tom. All right. so that was uh, Gilbert from there in Ziggenshore right now, and he was saying hello. Anybody want to add anything to the translation there? Spaghetti? No. He did. He said spaghetti, actually. <laughs> yeah, spaghetti's a good one. Good catch. Good catch on that. Everybody. 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 Martha. He named Martha and Pete. Yeah. Yes. And he said they're very good. They're very good. Very good. Yeah. So anyway, he was just uh, greeting people, just saying hello, and uh, describing what they had for dinner, and then uh, he was saying hello to the people that he knows, and uh, hello to everyone else, and that he's doing well, and that was it. Uh, and Tim also left, left a message, uh, but he is on the way home. Is that an Irish brogue? No. Oh. No. But he was just saying hello, and he's looking forward to seeing everybody. So uh, if you'd like to leave us a message on SpeakPipe, you can do so at www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study. Toggle the button and leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Genesis chapter 50 and verses 19 through 21. Genesis 50, 19 through 21. Okay, thanks, Don. Uh, just to backtrack a little bit, uh, we're still in the story of Joseph here and his brothers uh, at this point, uh, Jacob, Israel, had moved his family to Egypt. They were escaping a famine, and so they, Joseph had invited them. Joseph, at this point, was second in charge of Egypt and had invited them and their family to come, his family, to come and to stay there. And so they had moved to Egypt, and where we pick up this story is just after Jacob had died, Israel had passed away, and so Joseph's brothers were fearing for their lives. And the reason they were fearing for their lives is because they had sold him into slavery uh, when he was 17, 18 years old, and he had spent his early adult life in slavery in Egypt in prison uh... in all kinds of uh... circumstance that was their responsibility and so they were afraid because they thought that joseph was being nice to them only because the father was still alive and so once the father died they were really worried that uh... joseph was going to just take it out on them what they had done to him, and so They had sent one of them to go and and beg him to be nice, probably Benjamin because he was his uh, actual blood brother uh, and was younger and probably sent him to beg up some mercy as far as uh, they were concerned. But they told a story and the story they told was that their dad's dying wish or whatever you want to read that as was that uh, he'd be nice to them and not take vengeance on them. Um, whatever if that was true it's true if not it's not but that was the story they had but the reaction they get from Joseph is that regardless of whatever the story was he wasn't really upset about that but what he was upset about and the Bible says that he wept uh, for them was because of their fear and I thought that was really interesting that he was moved emotionally because of their fear and the fear that he saw in them and the fear that he uh, was able to discern from them because it was his heart to take care of them and he told them that that's why he invited them to Egypt he invited them there so that he could take care of them he had plenty of resources there he had food he had land for them Uh, he had made provision for them Uh, he had pharaoh that had he asked and requested, and Pharaoh had given him land for them. So, I mean, he he'd made real provision for them in his life, and the response that he got, though, was one of fear. And, and he, the Bible says he wept at that. And I, I thought that was uh, kind of interesting. And so he spoke comfort to them. If you read the, the passage, and we'll get into some of this, but he spoke comfort to them. And there's a connection between comfort and fear. There's an inverse connection between those two things. And you see that in the 23rd Psalm. If you've ever read the 23rd Psalm, anybody really notice how that goes, the beginning of it? Okay, why don't you turn to Psalm 23 and verse 4. Sorry, I put you on the spot. My bad. Anybody? Psalm 23, 4. Okay. Contrary to popular belief, that's not only a Coolio song, but that's actually in the Bible, uh, for those of you from the 90s. Um, Yeah, and so you see there, there's an inverse relationship between fear and comfort. And so in that verse, you see that the relationship, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for your rod and your staff They comfort me. So the... Responses and the emotions that you see with fear is that there's comforting brings a relief or is inversely uh, relational to fear in our life. So uh, I want you to think about that when you think about what God does or you think about how God works in us when we look at issues of fear in our lives. Uh, and all of us have fear. We all have different things that we are nervous about or fearful of or that we face in our lives. So. Uh, God has a plan for that and part of his plan for that is a work of comfort in our hearts and our lives. As we get toward the end of these verses, what we're going to talk about and what we're going to look at is how God deals with and wants to deal with fear in our life. Well, the way that he deals with that is through comfort. The way that he deals with that is by taking our hearts and putting us more at ease and at rest in our hearts toward the things that we fear. Uh, So, uh, so Joseph was looking to comfort his brothers, he's looking to to comfort his family, but instead they had come to beg from him. And that caused him to begin to weep. Because it's one thing to beg up stuff from God, and, and I'm a big believer in that. I don't have any pride when it comes to begging up stuff from God because he can provide it. So, I mean, if God has, you know, whatever, all the resources and all the universe, and I need something, I'm not afraid to beg that up. I'm not afraid to keep knocking. I'm not afraid to to keep after that. You look at the example that Jesus gave in the Gospels, and part of that example was that you keep knocking. And you go to your friend's house because you get a visitor and you need certain things, and you keep after it until you get what you need. And so the idea behind that is that Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, And part of how he was teaching them to pray is that you keep asking, and you keep asking, and you keep after it until you get what you need, what you're looking for. And so I don't have any problem with that. I think that's a good plan. Jesus taught it. That's how we pray. So I'm happy to do it. But what was moving Joseph was that they had come to beg him. And what was interesting is that, well, he already said he'd provide for them. What was interesting is that he already said that he would take care of them, he already said that that he was looking out for him and he had invited them into his home he invited them into where he was so that he could look after them. and so his heart had already been made clear about this he'd already told them he'd already revealed it to him he'd already showed them this is who i am and this is what i want this is what i'm going to do and yet here they were they sending whoever they sent to beg it up for him of him and so he asked them this question he, the question he asked, some of your translations will say this, he'll say something close to it, but it said, "Do you think I'm God?" That's the question. And then he wanted to know the answers. Like, "Well, why are you begging this up from me? Why are you living in fear of me?" That's what he was asking them. Why are you worried about me?" I, and, and he was plainly telling them, he said, I am not God. And he was trying to explain to them that he was under God and under his authority, under his rulership. And and really what's being applied here is he's just telling them, like, I'm not your judge. I'm not the one that you need to worry about at all. And he was a brother. He was a family member. He was the one that is already ready to take care of them and already ready to give of himself for them. He says, so I'm not the one. You you don't need to be like this with me. And it caused him to begin to weep because they were. The Bible talks about our position with each other. And one of the things that Jesus made clear in the Gospels is that we're not one another's judges. Uh, In other words, I'm not your judge. You're not my judge. That's not how it works. And that's not how God set it up. And that's not the way that the gospel was presented. Somebody look at Matthew 7.1. Jesus, just real quick, just a simple statement that Jesus makes here. Matthew 7.1. Judge not that you might not be judged. All right. All right, a simple statement, and you can read the rest of it, what he says there, but I mean, it's pretty clear that he didn't set things up in the way that he set up the kingdom, and the way that he set up our relationship one with another, that he didn't set it up that we'd be one another's judges. And that's not what he wants. And even though we have a tendency toward that as human beings, to judge one another, we just do. It's part of our nature. It's part of who we are. It, it, that's not the way Jesus set it up with the gospel. And so it's something that, as humans, we would have to fight in order to do something differently. And, and that's kind of an important revelation for us and understanding for us in that this does not come naturally to us to not judge one another. It comes naturally for us to judge one another. It comes naturally that we hold one another and, and we are judging one another to a certain standard. What's that standard? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows what the standard is people judge one another by? Certainly not the one they're living by. If you've ever noticed that, I mean, most people—it's it's so funny how you know, people judge me or you or whoever—and they're not living up to that standard. But man, if you don't, whoa, you're in trouble. And and so that's just how it goes. As a part of our establishment here as a, as a church and part of our establishment as believers going all the way back to where we started in Syracuse in Hendricks Chapel was that we made a decision and we made covenant with one another that that's not how we're going to live and that's not how we're going to be and that's not what we're going to do. And so for however many years that we've been doing this, however many years that we've been sharing life together, One of the things that we can constantly fight against, one of the things that we constantly battle, is that we are not one another's judges. And and as a church, people come in, people become part of our church, and one of the things we guard against is that kind of judgment. Because it just has no place. And, And I don't blame anybody that comes in, I just know that we protect one another from that because of what jesus said it's not appropriate and it's not a part of the gospel i think you guys kind of understand what i'm saying is that that is is something that has to be actively actively done because the 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 natural course of human nature the the fault that we have the path of least resistance leads to judgment It just does and it's a natural course of things and so the supernatural the unnatural course of things is that we're not going to live like that the supernatural unnatural course of things is that we're going to choose to live differently with one another and what that comes down to is me and you making a different decision and living a different way and when we catch ourselves in those kind of circumstances, that we stop it. Now the disciples, the apostles, they fought this. They fought it. Uh, you can see that with Paul or and Silas, or you can see that with uh, even Peter. When Peter was in the house of Cornelius, go to Acts 10.26. Acts 10.26, and you'll see Peter fighting this. He's going to this house of Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile. He's a believer. He's holding a meeting in his house. There's a supernatural connection that's taking place. You've got Cornelius who has a vision. Then you've got Peter who has a vision. Cornelius sends some people after Peter. They get him. Both of them have had these supernatural revelations and supernatural visions. And so they get together. Peter shows up at the house of Cornelius. And this is what takes place. So Cornelius falls at Peter's feet. Then we have verse 26. Somebody want to read that? But Peter made him get up. And stand up and said, I am only a man myself. Okay. And Peter makes sure that he understands that. And and you see, anytime. That the apostles are out and they're doing anything that's supernatural. They're doing anything where people might revere them as more than they were. That they were really careful to just say, "No, nah, that's not how it goes. That's not who I am." You know, they—they, they, uh, for example, Paul and his travel companion—they—they they were proclaimed to be Zeus and. And uh, one of his companions one time on an island, and they were really, no, that's not true. And they were really careful to make sure people understood that. Because that's that's not who they were. See, we're not one another's judges. We we have no rights in that. We we don't rule over one another. God does. God does. And for us to do those things is a usurping of authority. That we don't have the right to do. And you kind of learn quickly, especially, at least I believe you do, with the things of God, that you don't usurp authority. When you begin to usurp authority that really only belongs to God, bad things start to happen. Not because there's any kind of punishment or anything like that, it's just out of order. And as things become out of order, they just get out of whack. And, and things tumble out of control, things tumble out of whack somehow, and it's just not a good situation because it 's not how we were created, and it's not what God made. It isn't what God has for us. And so basically what what we're encouraged toward is an understanding of God, and there, there's people that would say, "Well, what Joseph was saying is, don't worry about me, God's going to get you. that's not what he's saying." That's not what he's saying here to his brothers. What he's saying is, is like you need to experience. And, and he was giving them a reality of this. He was giving them a physical reality of this. Care and kindness. Friendship. That's what he was showing them. That's what he was giving them. His brothers. He's like, this is all I can give you. I'm giving you land and homes. And I'm giving you everything that you could possibly want to need here. In this land. You come from a land of famine. I'm giving you plenty. I'm welcoming you. I'm giving you everything that I have. That's what he was showing them. And yet they were responding in fear. He was showing them kindness. But they were showing him fear. He was showing them giving and, and, and care over their lives. And what they were showing him was a, a they were lying to him in a sense trying to cause something to happen that was already happening. They didn't need to make him be nice to them. They didn't need to somehow protect themselves against him. He had already taken the role of caregiver. He had already taken the role of kindness in their life. And I couldn't help but think of the way people respond to God. I couldn't help it. I couldn't help but think about how many times God is kind to us. He's He's caring over our lives, and yet we look at him in some weird childhood way that maybe we were taught that he's something else other than that, and he's not. He's kind, and he's been kind. He's caring, and he's been caring. He looks out for us, and he provides for us, and he, he lets us live in that kindness and lets us live in that care in our lives, and he shows himself that way over and over and over again to give us the opportunity to experience it over and over again, that we would possibly be convinced that that's who he is. That's who he says he is. That's who he's revealed himself as. That's who Jesus showed us he is. That's who Jesus taught us he is. We have all of that being modeled for us, all of that being shown to us, all of that being revealed to us, and yet because someone taught us something different when we were a child, we hang on to that really immature and really hurtful vision or view that we have of God. And I I wish I could just say, well, I'm just talking to one or two people, but I'm not. This is so common, and it's so common I run into people that, that I'll talk about the kindness and the mercy of God. I'll talk about the love of God. I'll talk about the provision of God. And, and, and grown people will look at me and say, yeah, but he's out to get me. No, he's not. Oh, you don't know. Yeah, I do. He's not out to get you. I do know. He doesn't hate you. He's not waiting for you to mess up. He's not standing on the sidelines just, just uh, waiting for that chance to get you that's not who he is he's not petty he's not small he's not small-minded he's big and he's he he's loving and he's caring and I know I've talked about this a lot and I know i I, I harp on this quite a bit, but what I just described to you that that weird small-minded petty view of God. Is super common. And you guys do evangelism. You guys talk to people about God. You know what I'm talking about. That if people have any concept of him, because some people don't, and that's good most of the time when they don't. I'd rather have that most of the time than some weird, small-minded, petty concept of some mean tyrant that's out to get them. That's not based in any kind of reality. And for an example of that is right here in this story, Joseph and his brothers. Joseph and his brothers, they felt guilty because what they had done to him however many years before it happened. Joseph had indicated already that he forgave them. Joseph had indicated already that he was going to take care of them. Joseph had indicated already that he was looking out for them. And he had proven it every single step of the way. And he had showed them every single step of the way. And that love was being poured out. That mercy, that grace, and that kindness was being poured out and being lived out in their lives. And yet they lived in fear. Even though everything in front of them would tell them it's all good. Couldn't leave it behind could not leave it behind and held on to it. And this is an example, a, just a biblical example of things we do in our own hearts and our own lives for whatever reasons. And so I want to encourage you to let God be in to change that in your heart and your mind. That, that Joseph here, I mean, he's weeping over their fear. He's a guy, Joseph. And, and I can only imagine... You know it must God's heart toward us is so full and and yet when we stand and we are just so standoffish to him, how that must affect him. I have no idea I see how it affects Joseph just from his brothers so there's a there's an emotional reality to that there's a an emotional truth to this that as you begin to look at the implications of it, how how it divides and how it keeps us from that place of intimacy and relationship, that it does matter. And we should probably do something about it. And, And Joseph reminds him, he said to his brothers, he's like, well, you know, going back to the cause of their problem, going back to the cause of their guilt, going back to the cause of what they were all worried about, He's like, you know what, you made your plans. And then he he made another statement right after that. You made your plans, but God has his plans. Those two words, plans, they're the same word in the Hebrew. And, And what's being drawn here is a contrast between their plans and God's plans. Same word. Alright, so you, you could look at that same definition, same thing behind it, same intent behind it. We have our plans, God has his plans. And Joseph was just telling him it's like you you made your plans, whatever that was. But God has his plans, and what is being said here, they're not just his plans, but they're plans for good. We can't say that about our plans, alright? You might want to say that about your plans, maybe. So you can say, all right, well, i got my plans, and we want that to be for good, but they're not always for good. Sometimes our plans are selfish. Sometimes our plans are are short-sighted. Sometimes our plans are for our good, but not for the good of the people around us. Sometimes our plans are selfish. Sometimes our plans have more to do with what we want than what God wants or what anybody else needs. That's just the way it And is. I'm not accusing anyone. I'm certainly not judging anybody. I speak from my own experience that my plans look like that sometimes. Because they're my plans. And the best I can come up with sometimes, that's it. And I made my plans. And that was it. And sometimes they are short-sighted and sometimes they are selfish. And I thank God that I have my plans, but God has his plans. I thank God for that. And that his plans overrule my plans. I'm all right with that. I want that. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, kind of interestingly, uh, that Jesus is teaching his, teaches his disciples to, to pray, and it's like, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, right. We want his will done. And if that means my will's not done for his will to be done, that's okay. And what would be really nice is if my will begins to more and more conform to his will that'd be great because that would cut down on disappointment right a little bit because we have our will we have and, and that's how we're created god made us this way and that's who we are and that's all right we got our will but as our will begins to move more toward what god's will is it begins to, to bring into our lives a lot more peace and rest and comfort and life I mean, Jesus had his will all the way up until the very end. And I was just talking about this uh, last week, a couple weeks ago, in the Garden of Gethsemane, that there's Jesus right before the cross, right before he's being arrested. and, And he asked the Lord, you know, is it possible that you take this cup from me? But nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. He had his will then. And then it's okay, we have our will. He had his will. But nevertheless, not my will... Yours be done. That was his response to that, though. So living it out is, God has his plans and I have my plans. And his plans are for good. I know that. And so his plans need to overrule my plans. So be it. Amen. Good. If you're willing, are you just going to fight him every step of the way. Do you understand what I mean by fighting him every step of the way? You got your will, you got his will. You don't like his will, you like your will. So instead of conforming to his will, you're going to fight his will and still try to get your will done, right? That's fighting him. I learned way, way, way early, way early. You fight the wrong people. This is back in the old days when you could still do this. They'll beat the snot out of you. I got it, I get it, and I still get it. And I'm not accusing God of being a bully or anything else. What I'm trying to say is, I'm not picking a fight. I don't want to pick a fight. I have to assume that as my will is being taken over by His will, in other words, His will is this, my will is something else, I can find rest and peace in that, and I want to find rest and peace in that. I don't want to pick a fight. I don't. I just don't. And so by not picking that fight... I'm taking my will, and I'm making it subject to him and to his will. His brothers, they didn't know what they were doing as far as God's will. You know the story. They sold him into slavery. They were going to kill him. And then the oldest said, well, why don't we just sell him and get some money? And he was just trying to save his life, apparently. And they sold him to some traders, and he got taken to Egypt as a slave. That's what happened. That was their will. They wanted to get rid of him. And as we discussed weeks ago, that their whole family was changed because of that. Their dynamic as a family, their their relationships one with another, their relationships to the father, and their relationships to her other brother, Benjamin was changed because of that. Benjamin was, it was uh, then all of a sudden, was watched over even more carefully. Benjamin, all of a sudden, really didn't leave the house much. Benjamin, even as his other brothers were sent off to get things done, he was kept back because nothing can happen to Benjamin. Imagine living like that. Yeah. And so for whatever reason, changes happened. And you see good changes in the brothers that, and their heart changed from, we want to get rid of this brother too. I'll die for this brother. I'll give my life that he might live. So something happened to him. Some things were okay. Some things were good that happened to him because of it. Not all bad. But change definitely took place, and God had his plan for good. What was his plan? Well, Joseph would be sold into slavery. Joseph would be slave in, in Potiphar's house. Joseph would be falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He'd be put into prison. He'd make contact with the king's cupbearer while he was in prison, interpret a dream for him. The cupbearer would make it two years later, remember, that uh, Joseph had interpreted a dream for him. Then he told Pharaoh. Pharaoh had him brought out of prison. He interpreted Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh really liked that a lot, put him second in charge of everything, and he was able to store up grain and get ready for a famine that was coming that would cover that, all of that known world. And he had plenty of food stored up. His family would come from Canaan and provide for his family and take care of them. That's what God's will was. And that's what God had for good. Even though those brothers had bad intent, those brothers, they sold him into slavery. Those brothers never wanted to see him again. God's will was something different, and God's will was for the good. And that's what Joseph was just saying. It's like you had your, your reasons, and you did what you did, but God had his reasons, and he did what he did. Don't worry about it. That's why you have food right now. That's why you're taken care of right now. That's why you have provision over your life right now. Is because God meant something else for this. He meant this for good. And Joseph had peace about that, and he was okay. He said this, he said, God's plan was to save many lives. That was God's plan. It still is. And so God's plan was being done at that point. Their plan had ceased. It was done. They finished their plan, and it put God's plan into motion. And it was being done right then. It was overruling the plans of everybody else. And so in the midst of all of that, in the midst of the plans being overruled, in the midst of all of these these things that happened, guilt from the past, and all of these things, good was being accomplished. And yet the brothers were still responding in fear. Joseph wept over that. I could see that. I could see why he would weep over that. Because clearly... God had, had put all this into motion. God had set this so that they would be there at that time in that place with him in the position that he was in. Clearly God was taking care of them. Clearly God was looking out for them. Yet here they were afraid for their lives in the middle of a beautiful plan that God had from the very beginning that they just refused to see and take comfort in and find peace and rest and, and, and live in Instead, they chose to live in fear. You know, we're part of a big plan here. I I just want you to understand that that Jesus set in motion through his death and his resurrection a, a plan for us to live in, a kingdom that he established that we're in the midst of. He set in motion a plan for our lives. that He said, I've come that you might have life. And that more abundantly. And so it's a, a plan for abundant life. It's a plan that, that he gives us that we're to abide in him and he abides in us. A plan where he, he gives us that we're to live in love and forgiveness and peace and rest in our lives. And we're to know what that is and to, to live in that. We're to live in forgiveness and cleansing. We're to live at peace with God. We're to live the way that he created us to live that we can be born of the same Holy Spirit that he was born of. He wants that for us, and he gives that to us. And yet we choose to live in fear. And that's the point of this story to me, is that in light of the gospel, we have one greater. That, That we're the brothers, and wherever it is we think we are, or whatever it is we think we're doing, we're the brothers, and we have one, a brother that is in charge of everything. All authority has been given Jesus on heaven and earth. He's not even in second in charge. He's first in charge. And he has everything we need. He has our best interest in mind. He has showed us that he loves us. He's caring for us, that he's kind to us. He offers us friendship, and we're responding to him and responding to life in fear. Joseph wept over that. I can see that. We don't have to live the way that we do if we choose not to. That there's life that we can live. There's abundance that we can live in. There's a grace that's greater than whatever it is we carry from our past. You have guilt or whatever it is. There's a grace that's bigger than that. There's a forgiveness that already has been poured out There's a cleansing that has already been taken care of for our lives. It's done. And for us to carry that around with us and for us to to base our reactions to God on that or base our reactions to one another on that is foolishness. Foolishness. And it's self-destructive. It just is. That Jesus loves us There's a statement that Joseph makes to his brothers here at the end. He says this, he says, I'll provide. You know, God provides. And and that's the word of God over his brothers is that God provides. That's the word of Jesus over us that he provides. And kind of interestingly, it says there, I'll provide for you and your little ones, or I don't know what your Bible would say, your families or whatever. And, and all I want you to read there is you and your responsibilities. Because you might think, well, you know, yeah, okay, God will provide, but, you know, I have responsibilities. Right, you do, if you think that way. Some of you don't, I know, but some of you do. Some of you do, and, and you're thinking to yourself, all right, well, i got all these responsibilities, and i got all this stuff that's going on in my life, And it's one thing for me to say, oh, God will provide. Yeah, but what about X, Y, or Z? And I I just speak for myself that, you know, when I got married, there was a certain thing that snapped in my head that all of a sudden it wasn't just me anymore. Not me, it's that I got another person, and I have a certain responsibility for that person. And so some of my decisions, and I had to be really careful with this, that there were decisions that needed to be made along the way where i could have made the safe decision i could have i could have just made that safe decision like i was working at a job i was in line for a promotion and and god was saying okay it's time to quit your job you're gonna go full-time to do something else and it was been easier for me to say well i got responsibility so i'm gonna stick in this job i'm gonna get this promotion and i'm gonna get a big fat paycheck and i'm gonna take care of my family who's gonna argue with that really Nobody really is going to argue with that, at least not in the modern church, okay? If I had said, if I would given that choice to the guy that I was going to church, he was the pastor of the church, and I said, hey, here's my choices. I'm going to to quit my job going to uncertainty because I got like 50 bucks coming in a month from this other source of income, or I can stay here and I can make a bunch of money and get a promotion and, and be living, you know, high on the hog over here with the money that I'm making, all right? And I take care of my family better. What do you think? Guess what he would have told me? Middle-aged guy, male pattern baldness. What would he tell me? <laughs> Little pudgy, heat, young, nice guy, nice guy, friendly guy. What would he tell me? Take care of your family. That's what God would have for you, okay? But you know what? That wasn't what God had for me, and I knew that's not what God had for me. I had to be really careful that I'm not making decisions out of fear. And now, This was a long time ago, so I'm not, you know, whatever. But I'm not going to make decisions out of fear. And so instead of making the easy decision, I had to make the hard decision. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go do this. And I did. And we struggled, and we lived month to month for a while, and it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. The other way would have been a lot easier. I know that. And I can't tell you the number of times my in-laws told me I I was leading the family into financial ruin. You always love to hear that. How could you do that? Don't you know you're leading their family into financial ruin? I, I, I know I must have heard that four or five times during that stretch. Yep. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Because that's not an easy decision. I get it. It's not easy to make a decision like that. You know, it, it, going that direction, how How it just, I wouldn't trade it now it was hard then. I see God's hand of provision on it all over it now, but man, right right then? I, every night i go to bed thinking, wow, that was stupid. But it wasn't. It wasn't stupid. It was right. and And it was the right decision to make at the right time. And so you have to be careful of that. Joseph said it here when he talked about it, it's like yeah I'll provide for you but not just for you but for your little ones for your responsibilities because when I, I had kids that, that amped that up even more and those responsibilities that come along in our lives they they amp that up even more you know you own a house gets amped up you you have family gets amped up you you have kids, it gets amped up. You have a dog, it gets amped up, whatever. <laughs> All right, whatever, whatever your experience is, I, it's good. But we can't make those kind of decisions out of that fear. And that word provide is a good word because it, it, the literal translation of the word provide there is I will nourish you. I'll nourish you which is a lot, I don't know, I I just find that to be, to me I feel like it's more personal that He's gonna nourish me than just provide. That I have certain needs that are mine and He's gonna meet those needs and give me what I need to not only just get by but to really thrive and to live and to grow, he's going to nourish me. And that's what he does. And so that's the first part of what's being spoken here. And then he, he talks about being free from fear. Be set free from fear. And, and, and what's indicated in that verse is that we're set free from fear by God. That it's not a mental gymnastic for you to be set free from fear. It's not you convincing yourself that, oh, I'm just not going to be afraid anymore. Okay, wonder Wonder twin willpower, activate, and my willpower is going to keep me from being afraid. It doesn't work that way, really. It just doesn't. You know, and there's certain things in our life that, that we, we can't talk ourselves out of. And we just live it. And, and we're gonna we're gonna have to live through that, but God has offered to set us free from our fear. And I just want to encourage you to take Him up on that. If He's willing to do it, which He is, it says, set free from fear by God. That you take Him up on it and get free. I I don't like living afraid. I don't. And I and and, and I if I could somehow come up with some way to talk myself out of it, I'd talk myself out of it. But I, I can I, I've never come up with a good way to top myself out of it. And I've used this example before, but um, if you're not afraid, you're just not afraid. Like uh, I, I was going to go skydive, and I was I was driving down to Pennsylvania to skydive, and I knew I wasn't going to be afraid. And and I told somebody that, and they said, "Well, you don't know till you get there." <laughs> I'm like yeah I guess, but I'm not, I'm not afraid of this. This does, does not make me afraid. Well, you're going to change your tune when you when you get in there. like hmm? oh, maybe, okay, I don't know. I just wasn't afraid. And so I drove to Pennsylvania, and I, you know we went through the whole thing, and you know, they hook you up to an old they hooked me up to an old guy to start with. you do a tandem jump, and uh, and so they hooked me up to the old guy and <laughs> jumped out of the airplane. I loved every second of it. I could not wait to get out of that airplane, and I loved every second of it. I loved every part of it. I loved the free fall. I loved the the sailing and the parachute, driving the parachute, and I loved the landing. I just loved every part of it. I could not wait to go again, and so I did. I, I signed up, and I just kept going down there and doing jumps. And every time I'd be in the plane, it's like, I hope it's my turn soon. I can't wait. And I'd like, crawl out of the plane. I'd get out on the strut of the wing the way they did it there. I'd hang off of it and just drop right off of it. I loved it. But I knew I wasn't going to be afraid of that. I'm not saying some people are afraid of that. I understand that. And rightfully so. I'm not, I don't even, I have no judgment whatsoever. If you're afraid of doing something like that, good. It might keep you out of trouble. That's great. I just wasn't, and I knew it wasn't going to be, and I didn't have to talk myself into it, and I didn't talk myself out of it, and I didn't talk myself into anything. I just wasn't afraid, and there's other things in my life that I am afraid of, and I don't want to be afraid of, but I can't talk myself out of it. I want to be set free from it. I want to feel the same way about these silly things in my life that I'm afraid of as I do about jumping out of an airplane. That's what I want to feel like. That I can't wait to face it. I can't wait to to come into contact with it the next time. I can't wait to to get to it. That's how I want to feel. That's what I want. And that's what I'm asking God for in my life. Because He can do that. He can do it. And that's what I... I I pray for that. Because you look at the things in life that you're really afraid of, most of them are kind of silly. Not to you, but in the big scheme of things. Things that we're afraid of, things that we fear. Some of them are just really silly. When I was in college, I I took a public speaking course. This is a common fear, right? And the first day, you know, they passed out these note cards. Three by five note cards, old fashioned, old school note cards. And you you picked it up, and you looked at it, it had one word on it. And you had to get up, and you had to talk about that one word for five minutes. In front of, yeah, in front of everybody. I was afraid. Of what? Of the other students that were afraid? (laughs) Every other insecure college student that was in that room... They were, just, they were just as afraid as I was. There we were. And they videotaped it. Uh-oh. Just for posterity's sake. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. But looking back on it, that was really silly. You know, that room of 25 scared college students that were, were all in the same boat together. We were all facing the same fear together. We were all facing the same... Fear Obstacle, everything is just all the same. And and the reality of it was is that we we didn't have any reason to be afraid. Because, you know what, I couldn't tell you what any other person talked on that day. In fact, the next week I couldn't tell you what any other person talked on that day. Because I forgot. I know what I talked on. But I don't remember what they did. And so... It, it was a silly fear, and yet it was so real and powerful in my life. I don't want that. And I don't have that anymore. And I'm glad I don't have that anymore. Otherwise, every Sunday would be terrible. <laughs> and every Monday night would be terrible. And, and every time I, I speak in front of people, it would just be terrible. Because I'd be fearful. and I, and I, just, I don't want it anymore. I didn't want it anymore. And I don't have it anymore. I'm sure you can think of different fears that are in your life that you just don't have anymore, that you used to have. And so you should think on those and think, okay, good, so that's possible. Good, God can take away fear. Good, God does take away fear in my life, in your life. Yes, okay, good, think on those things. But I also want you to think about things that you're fearful of now. And... What I want to do in the next few minutes is I want to ask God, I want you to ask God to take that fear away. Just take it away. Because the last thing last is thing being said here is that God wants to speak some kind words to you. And I want to encourage you to hear his kind words tonight. Because as I said, I mean, Jesus has done everything, everything in our lives to show his care and his kindness and his friendship. And whatever we carry in our minds or from our past or whatever it is that gets in the way of that, that really needs to go. Because he is a speaker Of kind words to his people. And he has kind words for you tonight, if you have ears to hear. So let's take a few moments, and I want to encourage you over the next few moments to really ask him, just ask him, to take away fear. And as you're asking him to take away fear, open your hearts and open your minds. Open your spirit to his kind words to you. Because maybe you need some kind words tonight. You may have come here, you may have had a hard day. Maybe the people that you work with or that you were around today didn't have a lot of kind words for you. Well, Jesus does. Maybe on your drive home you didn't hear a lot of kind words from other drivers. I don't know. But Jesus has kind words for you. He does. So let's take a few moments. Thanks, God. And I I want you to ask for your fear to be taken away. I want you to think of one area of your life. Let's just start with one tonight. One area that you're living in some degree of fear. One area of your life where you're really living in kind of a tough spot with that fear going on. And I want you to ask God to set you free from that, to take away that fear. So whatever that is, it's just a simple prayer. God, take that fear. Name it. Name it to Him. Name it for you. He knows what it is, but you name it for you. A simple prayer, God, take that fear from me. Jesus' name. God, I pray that you would begin to pour out your comfort on your people. That even as you deliver us from fear, and even as you take specific fear from us, and from our hearts, from our lives, that you would comfort us, and that you would speak kindly to us. I pray we could hear your kind words tonight. Thanks, Lord. He loves you. He cares for you. You're his son, you're his daughter. Looking out for you, he wants the best for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I that you take my fear of rejection. Yeah, God. Thank you, Lord. Freedom in the name of Jesus liberty. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you want to name one, go ahead and do it. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Pray liberty and a freedom. Deliverance in Jesus' name. Anybody else? Something you want to name? In the name of Jesus, set free, God. Jesus name suit yeah, hey God freedom Liberty Thanks, God. Thanks, God. Thanks, Lord. God, I pray that we would leave this place free, May we leave this place comforted, I pray we'd leave this place with your kind words, we give you thanks tonight, we ask these things and pray you'd seal these things, in Jesus name, amen.